Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right, welcome to episode 36 of the Future Belongs to Creators. Today, you have a slightly rushed version of Nathan Berry and Barrett Brooks because we were doing other things until a minute ago. Pretty much literally. See, like, look, I haven't even silenced my phone. Let me let me do that right now. <laughs> oh, hey, look, I got retweeted by the one and only Barrett Brooks. Nice. Uh, we are having our board meeting. Board meeting, director's meetings, all of that. All kinds of meetings. And we basically had to tell people, get out of our Zoom room, otherwise you're gonna be in the live stream. So anyway, with that, we're here Barrett, how are you doing today? Oh man, it's always a good week doing all of our, uh, tw- we do twice a year planning with our leadership team and get together usually in person. So this is usually a really fun week to to connect, spend some time together, build strong relationships, and then also plan for what's to come in the company. So we had our board meeting yesterday, four hours on Zoom. That was really something. I've never experienced anything quite like that. Uh, and now we've probably got like four and a half to five hours of Zoom meetings pretty much every day through Thursday with our leadership team. So I'm like excited, a little, it's always a little anxiety inducing in a weird way because it feels like we're determining where we're going and really taking a hard look at ourselves and being honest about where we are and where we've been and the decisions we've made to get us there or not made. So it's a good process of reflection, but um, I'd say I'm like, Sage, we'll go with Sage or Chartreuse as uh, I can't remember if that was Teddy or, or someone else that came up with that. Um, how you doing? Oh, yeah, I, I'd go with Yellow. I think uh, it's just, it's really good conversations. A lot of time planning it out. Um, Seth has some work to fit this podcast in there. I'm glad we're still doing it. Uh, today's less busy than yesterday. Uh, I'd love to hear for anyone who tuned in uh, how you thought Haley and Alexis did yesterday. We're really grateful to them for hosting to give us uh, the ability to dive deep on the on the business. Um, but yeah, I'm yellow. I went for a walk this morning, just walk around the farm in the spring at like 6.45 in the morning. And it was really nice. You can't help but have a, a good attitude and be happy when uh, the weather is good. So yeah. Um, why don't you introduce our... our uh, I was going to say our business model. Why don't you introduce our topic for the day? (laughs) Which is business models. We actually were just having a conversation about this related to the creator journey. And one of the things I learned, this this topic is really personal for me because when I started my first creator business called Living for Monday, I quit my job at Ernst & Young, which is now called EY. It was a professional services firm where I was a management consultant Largely because I had that experience that a lot of people have where the work was slightly soul sucking. It was not what I thought it was going to be. I didn't feel a strong sense of purpose every day. And I had gotten exposed to Tim Ferriss and Pat Flynn and Chris Gillibo and uh, Amy Porterfield and Marie Forleo and all of those kinds of people, I think, if they were around then. If not, I've been exposed to them since then. No, I, th- I think I think that was about the right time. Yeah. And, and they fueled this thinking in me that's like, oh, I mean, I could just run my own thing. Why would I not run my own thing rather than continuing to show up to work here? And I had a strong idea for what I wanted to help with. I had a strong idea of the people I wanted to help. I didn't have a strong idea of how I was going to make money. And Mm -hmm. I suffered for that for years because when you lack clarity about 
the function of your business that allows you to make money, it means that you end up spending money you don't have or spending money that you had saved for other reasons, and it can be really painful. So what we're going to get in today is choosing a business model and understanding the different ways you can get money and how you can get to that point of failure as fast as possible so that you don't waste time. I think one of the things we do as creators is we really put off that possibility that our idea could fail because we don't want to find out. But what I want to try and convince you of today is that the best thing you can do for your business and your future as an entrepreneur and a creator is get to the point of failure as fast as possible so that you get as many shots as possible at realizing your dream. And it might just mean you have to try selling different stuff as opposed to giving up on it completely. So that's kind of what today's episode is about. I like that. It makes me think of a few different creators that I can I'm not going to name them, but there's four people that come to three people that come to mind specifically uh, over time where they've started to build audiences and I've really encouraged them to start selling a product, sell a service, something like that. And they've, they've been like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to build the brand. I don't want to sell out. And it's, you know, maybe once I get to a thousand subscribers, maybe once I get to the other level. And I was always encouraging them because it's like, yeah, but how are you going to make money? Oh, but there's so many different ways that I can make money. I'll figure it out when I get there. And there are some people who have pulled that off and that's great. But I think there are plenty of people that the make money side of things is scary. That's where you might find out if this is going to fail, if this is even going to work. And so you're like, uh, you know what? But you know what's a good time to test that hypothesis? Next month. Let's test that next month. Because for now, everything can, uh, you know, just be easy. It can be, it can be not scary. I don't have to know for sure if people will buy the thing that I want. And so I can put it off. And so that's what we're really encouraging you here is like, okay, maybe you decide to still put it off, but we're going to make you at least define the things of how you think you'll make money, how uh, you think you'll have the business model. And really look at it from the perspective of there could be a ton of different ways, maybe even more than you realize. Yeah. And I think, um, if you, could just shift one thing about your mindset coming out of this this episode, it would be that there are many businesses, in fact, most long-running businesses serve customers who are happy, even thrilled to pay them money. Mm -hmm. Most businesses that are around for a long time have customers who are thrilled to pay them money. I really want you to take that and place it internally and believe that what you're creating what you're going to sell is going to be something that other people delight in buying from you over time. Because if you believe it's a burden or you're forcing someone to pay you or you're convincing them against their will to give you their hard-earned money, you're gonna have a really hard time being a creator. Right. And what I want you to realize is that what you're making, as long as you're coming from it from the right place and you're open to learning and you know you're here to serve your people, it's for them. You're making it from the right place, which means you deserve to get paid for it. You deserve to get paid for your original work if you're coming from the right place. And if you're trying to take advantage of people, that's going to catch up to you eventually in its own way. So I'm not right. worried about you. Let's lean into that for a second. So for everybody listening in, like maybe just take this moment and think of three companies that you are thrilled to give them your money each month. I'm sure there's a ton that come to mind. Absolutely. Right off the bat. Um, I love my gym. I love my gym. I think every six months, I don't know what it costs me, 500 bucks or something like that, which is more expensive than like an LA fitness or something. But I personally know the teachers. They care mm -hmm. a lot about the community. They invest in us as people and as, you know, fitness enthusiasts. Uh, I love paying them money. 
my local plant shop, Pistols, that I think I've shared before. I love that store. The plants are expensive. I could get them from a farm somewhere, I'm sure, for cheaper. But I like the people in there. They help me replant my stuff. It's delightful to visit. I love paying them money. Um, and it doesn't bother me one bit. Now, I have a budget. Like I don't. I try not to spend more right. than I intend to. And sometimes I fail. Um, but those are just two examples. Like I could look all over my home and I would see, see things here that are businesses. I I really enjoyed paying my money to. Yeah. A couple that came to mind for me. One is the store Woodcraft where you go in there and it's usually all these, usually guys who are like 55 to 70 years old and they've been really into woodworking and they're like mostly retired, but kind of working there. And, uh, they just know it so well and they're not trying to sell you anything. They're just like, Oh Yeah. Let me do this. If you bring a project in there and you don't have like a bandsaw that can, you know, cut like a 10 inch tall piece of wood, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, just let me take care of that for you. Oh, sorry. No, I can't let you use the tool because of insurance, but I'll just do it for you. Like that kind of experience is so good. And then if I look at like an online brand on the e-commerce side, uh, I think of like Jeff Sheldon who runs Ugmunk. I'm like, oh man, every time he comes out with something, I'm like, Jeff, there you go. Happy to happy to buy, happy to support you. And so when we look at that, right, there's all these companies and we, we can set that little package, that experience over here. And you're like, wow, there's so many great brands. We didn't even get into like the big companies that we love to buy stuff from of like Patagonia and many others. So we're like, okay, that experience is there. And then over here, it's like, I have an audience, but if you sell stuff, if you sell stuff to that audience, you're selling out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I just want to like <laughs> separate those two worlds and know that both of those experiences can exist and that, you know, that feeling of like, okay, I don't want to charge because people won't like it or any of that. It's like, okay, yep. Let's name it. And then let's overcome it because it's going to be so important. Yep. Yep. Totally. And, um, I think if you take that mindset that you're making something that is valuable, you're selling it for a price that is under the value that it represents. And just know Mm -hmm. that like, yeah, sometimes people are going to ask for refunds too, and that's fine. And you'll take care of it and you'll move on. And everyone else is going to be super happy to have paid you money. So with that mindset in mind, uh, uh, let's talk about particular business models. Uh, I'm going to do just a quick monologue running you through, um, I think this is seven types of business models. They're lettered instead of numbered. So I think it's seven. Um, And I just want you to keep these in mind. We've kind of gone over these in the ladders of wealth creation, but I want to refresh your memory. So the first thing, and these are going to go in kind of like order of easiness to get into and level of scale you need for them to work as a business model for you. So the first one is services. This is anything that freelancers do. This is coaches, designers, public relations, marketing consultants, all of that kind of thing. Uh, The second one is events and workshops. So this is a really common one online, especially in the current state of things where um, people are going from offline activities to online activities to earn money. This would be things like paid webinars or workshops Uh, retreats that gather people together, conferences online and off, anything where you're gathering people to one place and holding an event. It's kind of a play on services, but it's just more people than one-to-one or Mm -hmm. one-to-a-client. Third group is digital products. This is the classic kind of online business, eBooks, courses, albums, Lightroom presets, stock photography, printables, um, all of that kind of typical stuff you see. Um, The pricing models here that you have probably seen could also be like pay what you want. Patreon or patronage is kind of like another way of paying for digital assets or ongoing content feeds. And then uh, you can sometimes see like tiered pricing where they offer different uh, combinations of digital stuff. 
The fourth group is physical products. So, you know, typical stuff, plants, clothes, furniture, books, prints, whatever, art. That's a distinctly different way to earn a living. The next one is maybe not thought of as a business model sometimes, but it definitely is. And so I really want you to pay attention to this one. This category is advertising, sponsorship, and affiliate marketing. So this would be you affiliate marketing other people's stuff. All of these models are you getting paid for attention that you earn? And for you to make a good amount of money, you've got to have a much larger audience than you might need to sell a service, for example. So this would be post or having ads on your, your blog or YouTube channel. It would be accepting sponsorships, maybe for your Instagram feed or your YouTube channel. Um, or if you're an affiliate marketer, this could even be something like having a, a men's fashion website, for example, where you talk about fashion, but you don't make clothes, you promote other brands clothes and then get a commission for the ones that you sell. And then the last model would be software. So this would be, you know, convert kit, any kind of online tool, um, games, apps, things like that. And typically that requires obviously a very specialized skill set of being able to either design or build applications. And, uh, and you often require a lot of users. That's not always the case. Some are very high priced and you sell to big companies, but when it comes to creator type businesses where you'd be making a mobile app or, or maybe an online game that typically requires a big audience. So that's just a quick overview of different kinds of business models that you can keep in your head as we talk about the process for choosing one for your business. So as we go through and, and start to dive into choosing one, there's a few attributes that I want to touch on of, of each side. You, you talked about kind of the, the audience size necessary to make it work. So for example, if I wanted to start with coaching, I could have an audience size of five people that I've reached out to directly, you know? And, uh, you know, I have to have a reputation. I have to have expertise. Um, so those are all a prerequisite we think to, um, really going down this path, but I, I could have a really small audience and that would be totally fine. Whereas sponsorship advertising, that kind of thing. Ooh, I'm going to need a fairly big audience and some audiences are easier to build than others. So for example, I think a lot of people look at say a Pat Flynn or anyone, maybe even myself in the like teaching business, teaching audience building, you know, any of those things. And you think about, okay, what's a big audience there? My email list is about 30,000 people. I mean, Pat's email list is way bigger. His YouTube subscribers, you know, he's got 250,000 YouTube subscribers. So like, wow, that's so big. And then you get into these other industries where like normal people are interested in them. So like fitness, food, nutrition, and a big audience is like five times bigger, 10 times bigger. And so what you'll find is that a lot of people in like the online business space maybe aren't making money from advertising because they actually don't have very much traffic compared to someone like a recipe blog or a fitness blog where they might have crazy amounts of traffic. And so they're like, let's turn on advertising and see how that goes because traffic was an easy thing to get. And now they would have a harder time maybe making money per subscriber. They might not make as much as if you were selling or like teaching a skill that makes more money. So that's just another thing to think about as you go into it, you're going to have different options. And you brought up um, like a men's fashion blog, for, for example. And I think that's a great use case of you might be able to get maybe not as much traffic as a recipe blog. Like it's not going to be as easy, but you could get quite a bit of traffic and you could play in a few of these different spaces. So like our friend Baron Quadro, who runs Effortless Gen, he's done sponsorships. He's done um, advertising. And then he's also uh, done 
like digital products, you know, eBooks and courses. And so he's found like this right hybrid and played with different business models. Uh, but it was always clear from the beginning that he had multiple ways that he could go about making money. Yeah, exactly. So the first thing I want you to think about, especially if you're just getting started, um, but I think this is true even if you've already got a business model and you want to layer in another way to make money, you got to pick one. You can't pick all of them to start. You could have all of them in your business eventually. That's probably going to require more people to work for you, and we'll get into that some other time. But you have to start with one. And this is always the like focusing thing that everyone struggles with is, oh, I don't want to pick one tiny topic for one tiny audience. Like, okay, I understand. But the way to get to a big topic for a big audience is to start small. The same is true of picking a business model. So the place you want to start is uh, understanding your audience size, like we mentioned, in which of these models is most appealing to you and which one do you think you have the best shot at providing something of value by using? So for example, if you're not much of a writer yet, I wouldn't recommend choosing an ebook, but maybe you have some professional services experience that you're coming from like I did. And that's a place where maybe coaching or some kind of freelance business could work really well for you to start with. So you have to start with some kind of hypothesis. The hypothesis that I finally got to in my first business was I'm going to provide paid career coaching for college seniors. Now, there are a bajillion things wrong with that. And what I wish I had done is what I'm going to teach you to do, which is get to the point of failure faster. But that was my hypothesis. I can make enough of a living doing career coaching for college seniors that I can get to the next level of my business. I don't know if you have an equivalent, Nathan, maybe for a past business. You know, for me, I started with freelance design. And so that was the service, right? Where when I left my my software design job, I, I was really into designing iPhone apps. And so I was like, great. I will do that as a freelancer, you know, on an hourly basis and then kind of rolling into a per project basis. And then I got into, okay, can I productize this, those things that I'm doing? Can I turn it into selling an ebook? And so that was the process where I go, great, I can be fully immersed in this world of designing iPhone applications and be writing a blog about what I've learned. That's helping me get a few more clients. I can use the case studies from the clients to write in the blog. So we have this little flywheel that's working and that was never the end game. Uh, the end game was always selling, you know, another form of product, but I knew that I could earn a living off of that while I built up the skill, the experience and the audience. Yeah. I love that. Um, and that was kind of what I did with one key exception. I went out, I got a bunch of test clients. A lot of times when you're just getting started, doing some work for free gives you the case studies that you need to then sell. So I went out and I did 10 coaching clients for free. And I learned a ton. I walked them through this framework I had for getting to know yourself better and then translating that into looking for companies you wanted to go to work for that would fit your value system, basically. It worked incredibly well. I had a 100% placement rate for all the people I worked with. But the one problem was none of them had paid me. Mm. And instead of moving from free services so I could learn whether my thing worked and have confidence in it to paid services, I went from free to building a product. So productizing it. But what I had missed was the step where I tested the hypothesis of whether people would pay for this thing. And that's what cost me two and a half years probably of time running this business before I realized I had a problem. So the way to test your hypothesis, I just like, please listen clearly. The only way to test your hypothesis about whether your business model might work is to ask another human being to pay you money right now for the thing that you're trying to sell. 
that's the only way to test your hypothesis. There's no way to do research. There's no way to like kind of ask and then say, okay, but you don't really have to. You have to literally ask people to pull their credit cards out and pay you money right this moment or else you have not found out whether your idea is valuable enough to sell it to people. Mm -hmm. I've learned that uh, with ConvertKit in the early days. I asked people, would you buy this? And they all said yes. And I was like, yes, it's perfect. And I went off and I built the product and I came back and said, great. How about the credit card? And they're like, oh, well, uh, here's a dozen questions. Exactly. Because when I said, would you buy this? It was a hypothetical question. If this thing that is undefined, if it existed at some point in the future, would I buy this? Yeah. You know, I want to support Nathan. He seems like a nice guy. You know, it seems like a generally a good idea. Sure. I'll buy it. Then I get into, you know, I come back a month later and I'm like, okay, it's here. Can I have your credit card? And then it turns into a real question. We're not in hypothetical territory anymore. We're like, we're in real questions of like, well, what would it look like to set up? Well, do I have to switch to it? Do you have all these features? You know, can you guarantee this outcome? No, I can't guarantee, you know, and like it gets into this real world and you thought you had a conversation earlier and you didn't because you failed to actually ask for money. And so I think that's so, so important. And so the, this concept that we can take from the, the startup world in terms of the process to test your hypothesis is called a minimum viable product. You've probably heard of it before, so it's not like we're exposing you to this incredible concept, but a minimum viable product, the key word is viable, viable product. A viable product mm-hmm. means the smallest version of your idea that someone would pay money for. And so what you have to figure out is how much value do you have to pack into an initial thing for someone to say yes to that ask that you were just talking about, Nathan. So let's say that you're going to write an ebook. What I have on my mind right now is more in the style of like a book book. I would think about self-publishing it. It's about my like maturing philosophy on what it means to experience meaning at work. I'm thinking about calling it something like mattering. Because I think it's that's really what it's about. It's like, did my time on earth matter? And one way that I want to know that is that my work is meaningful. Well, the way to test this would be to write like the first chapter and sell it for $4 or something. Because all you're trying to do is see, does the core value proposition or the core idea that I have, is it compelling enough to you that you'd pay money for it? Or does this just need to be a, a blog post or a free ebook or something? So you build the minimum one. So I would write, let's call it a, Um, a 10,000 word chapter would be, or a 10,000 word like thesis on this thing. And I would make it into a a nicely designed PDF. Maybe I would do some sketches on my iPad to go with it, to give it a little extra kind of like thump. I would work with a designer to do a quick cover for it. That looks nice, like a real book cover. And then I would put that up on my website and I would sell it for $4.99 or $9.99. Cause I'm not trying to like scale a business. I'm trying to communicate ideas and make people value them enough to really read it Mm -hmm. and pay for it. And I would go back to our episode on building a course in 72 hours. And I would apply that thinking to, I'm going to write this 10,000 word thing this weekend and get it ready for launch next week. That would be my first step. From there, you've got a lot of experience with the next step, which is the most uncomfortable part. People think like, I'm going to launch this thing to the world. But when you have the minimum product, you don't actually want to try and launch it to everyone. What do you do instead? Yeah. So that's where I go and try to sell it to 10 people. And 10 is just enough that like, I have to, like, if I said, go sell it to three people, you're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I know three people that would buy anything, you know, that they're in my corner, they'll help me out. But 10 pushes it to like, okay, I got to actually stretch my limits and, and ask. And so have those conversations of saying, Hey, I'm writing this book. Um, I want to get an initial, 
group of people who are buying it, giving feedback, all of that. And I want to see if it has traction. So would you buy it? You know, if you set your price too low, say we're in the $5 price uh, range, then you might be at risk of someone being like, uh, sure, Barrett. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll buy that. You know, and so you might even add to it, would you buy this and read it? You know, or just add that extra thing. Often if you have a higher price, you don't need to add that caveat because they're just like, no, dude, I'm not giving you my money. You know, when you're like, will you buy this for $500? It's like, you know, you know that if they do, it's providing real value. $5, which I think is a great entry price or $10, you kind of want to have that caveat of like, would you buy it and read it? And if they're like, ah, you know, I just, I don't really have time. You know, you move on and try that with more people. Um, But if they're like, yeah, absolutely. Then you can make that sale and go from there. And then just see, like, notice their body language. Notice uh, how they respond to it. How eager are they? When you talk about the topic, do they get it right away? Or are they like, and how would I apply this to my career? You know, so just notice those things. Take notes from it and tweak that from there. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, will people read it? Will people use it? Will people whatever? A lot of people have intentions. And I always like to say that our best selves use our intentions to make plans. And then our real selves show up and meet those plans in the face. And sometimes we don't actually follow through. And so one way to find out one decision is, did they buy it? And that's, was your value proposition good? Did you have a good pitch for the person you were pitching it to? But what you really want to know is a week later, two weeks later, a month later, did they read it? Did they use it? What did they think of it? Did they like it? And so I think a really compelling thing to do would be sell it to them. Let's say with 10 people, you want to see three buy it would be a really good, like, okay, maybe I'm onto something. I'm going to follow up, let's say two weeks later and say, Hey, I know you bought that book from me. Really appreciate it. Did you have a chance to read it? And if so, what did you think? (laughs) And they'd probably say like, ah, yeah, I haven't got around to it yet. Or maybe they'd say, yeah, I read it. It was pretty good. And I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to follow up and I'm going to say, no, 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 really. This is a thing that I'm thinking about investing a lot of time in to make it a longer book. I want to know, what did you think? Was it compelling? Was it something you wanted to keep reading? Or was it like, ah, that was fine. I only spent five bucks. No big deal. And that follow-up right there is what tells you really are you on to something. That tells you whether it will keep selling in the future. Because what you promise and what you deliver end up being two different things most of the time for people. And you want them to be as close to in balance as possible. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Something else that came to mind for me, if we go with a different example on a pre-sale, or maybe even still you do a book, but you say, hey, I'm writing this book. I'm doing the pre-sale on it because uh, I want to you know, test, make sure there's demand. Maybe I don't even have a sample chapter yet. Or you have some contents. So you put out whatever content you have, but you might say, uh, we'll start with the Q&A or, or we'll start with the discussion on this. So anyone who, who pre-sell, who buys the, the book, you know, in the next three weeks, before June 1st, they get to come to this live discussion on the topic of how to make your work meaningful. You know, And maybe it's only with 10 other people right? But if they're interested in the topic and they're interested enough to not only buy, but to show up to that live call and have a discussion with five or 10 other people who care about that, then you're like, Ooh, okay. This track, this, this product idea has legs and they're, it might be hard to find that market of fans who are really into it, but you know, they exist. And that's a really encouraging thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the way you know that you validated your hypothesis about your business model is let's say 30% of the people you pitched bought it. That's not a hard and fast number. Listen to the principle, not the number. Mm -hmm. A decent portion of the people you pitched bought it. Enough to say like, okay, this is not 
an unattractive offer. And then when you follow up, the people who bought it also enjoyed it. That's when I would continue investing and I would go beyond the minimum viable product and say, okay, now what's the full version of this that I imagine at a higher price point and more value? Now, if they didn't, either they didn't buy, you got a, let's say a zero out of 10 or a one out of 10 result. Or if they bought and they really didn't like it, in the first case, if no one bought it, I think you got to go back to the hypothesis stage and you got to start over. And the great news is it took you like a week to get the answer. You wasted almost nothing in time, energy, or money. And you get to start over. What's your next idea? Great. Now, if they bought it and they didn't like it, you have a quality problem. And that could be due to a couple of things. You might not have the expertise. Uh, You might not have the skills to communicate your expertise or to turn your expertise into a product that people like. Or you might just be kind of confused on how to solve the problem that you're trying to solve or serve the goal that you're trying to serve or delight people if it's just some like fun thing that you're making. Um, And that's good information too, because it means now you need to go back to the product development phase and say, my core idea is good and that's why people bought it, but I got to get better at the execution part of it. Yep. That's good. And then that really gives you this idea of, should I continue or should I not? You know? And the nice thing is there's a bunch of other business models. And so you can play with different things and, and you can pick one or two. Um, but you get to test that really early, you know, just with your example that you said, you, you spent a week, not two and a half years. And that's so important. And so the question that we ask at this point is, do you know what your business model is? This thing that you're starting, how are you going to make money from it? We're not saying you have to make money today. We're saying you have to know how you're going to make money because that's what's going to make it sustainable and something that you can invest in long term. Love it. Doom, doom, dig a doom, 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 doom. Creator of the day. <laughs> I have a question. How does like what how does the tune tie into the the creator? Is it like is the tune just off the top of your head right then? I started smiling in my head about 30 seconds before that because I knew I was gonna get to do it and I didn't get to do it yesterday. <laughs> Oh man. Oh man. All right. Uh, my creator of the day, I just have a creator. I don't have a resource. Uh, he's my good friend, Casey Ames. Uh, he runs a business called Harkla, uh, which is, uh, an e-commerce company. So they design and manufacture products for kids with special needs. Um, so, uh, weighted blankets, sensory swings, all this kind of stuff. I really like hanging out and talking to Casey because he has a unique perspective on business. And then he's also in the e-commerce space and designing physical products. Um, and so he has a whole like entirely different set of problems than I have. And so he's really fun to talk to, but he also approaches it from a values-based perspective. Great design. You know, he's not one of these companies of like just trying to find a way to make money. Like they're actually custom designing all of their products. So he's fantastic. Uh, Harkla is the company, harkla.co. And then uh, Casey Ames on Twitter, definitely worth following him. And I'm actually going to, do a uh, socially distant happy hour with him tomorrow because it's been a little bit since we've caught up. Love it. My creators of the day are the original founders. They don't, they don't, I don't think they work on the project anymore, but Ryan and Tina S maker made the great discontent. And I discovered this when I worked with a friend of theirs um, years ago now, and it just gave me this model and vision for what independent, well-made media could look like, both online and in print. Their long-form interviews with artists and makers and creators of all kinds are just really spoke to me at the time. It was like they had grit and emotion and also the reality of how painful it can be to be a creative person, uh, but also how fulfilling, um, perhaps captured in the name, The Great Discontent. 
Um, and that attaches to my resource of the day, which is their print issues, which I just love. They sit on my, in my stack of like inspirational, visually beautiful, um, resources on my bookshelf, but this ambition issue was particularly good, but honestly you could pick any of them. And I think you'd really love the long form interviews they do. It's one of those great, like sit down and read one of the articles on a Saturday afternoon type things. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've always really enjoyed them. Love it. Okay. Well, you want to close this out? Yes. Um, thought of the day, this is going to be detached from the business model thing. And it's actually a lesson that I think you and I shared uh, over the weekend and, and yesterday, which was that good feedback is often really painful at first. You might get a sensation in your body or, or a feeling in your mind that that feels like fear or anger or doubt or uncertainty. And what I want you to know, and this is especially true when you're like trying to sell a product for the first time and you're getting feedback, for example, on it that feels scary or painful. Mm-hmm. It's a really great sign that you might be onto some gold there, that someone's done the generous work in giving you the gift of truly valuable feedback. And so the only thing I'd say is ask yourself if that person cares about you. If they care about you, then a feeling in your body or in your mind that you're rejecting feedback or you're scared of it, or it's a negative sensation is probably really good feedback that it's actually something true that you should dig in on and really consider. Um, We got some of that feedback from our board yesterday, and I know that it's going to be super valuable for us going forward. Uh, And I know that that's the kind of feedback that allows us to grow. So um, as you go into the process of testing a hypothesis or you're doing anything where feedback matters, uh, really pay attention to the kinds of sensations that it sparks for you because those are always good signals of whether it's valuable. That's so good. I mean, that question of uh, whether or not someone cares about you and then it tells you which bucket to put the feedback into. And if they care about you and that feedback kind of digs in as uh, some of yesterday's did, <laughs> then it's like, okay, let's do the work. Let's find out what what's going on there and, and go from there. All right. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Thanks for listening to this episode of the future belongs to creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called convert kit where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give convert kit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.